okay, that contradicts what the majority of our culture believes today. Most people would rather receive than give. Well, we're in this series, Jesus and We, and so today we're going to talk about being irrationally generous. Now, we all know that love gives. We frequently quote John 3.16, but we don't usually put the emphasis on giving there, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, you know, we focus on, uh, on love, and we focus on Jesus and his coming into the world to forgive our sins, but uh, we don't notice that it's God's gift uh, to the world. Well, we love because God first loved us and gave his son in order that we could live. Therefore, as a church, we will lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you're uh, a business owner or you're leading any type uh, of organization, you want to create values uh, that help create culture within your group, uh, within your organization. Now, we've already shared a couple of our values Uh, The first in this series was big faith. Uh, We like to think that we are big thinking, bet the farm risk takers uh, who will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Another value that Craig talked about last week uh, is serving. Uh, We are not spiritual consumers, but God expects us to be spiritual contributors The church does not exist for us, but we are the church, and together we exist for the benefit of the world. Today we want to look at the value of generosity. And so the the text that I read at the beginning of the service, Acts 20 verse 35 says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, many of you who are in business, uh, you've perhaps read uh, some of Stephen Covey's works. Uh, One book that I think he's most popular for is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so that's that's used in in the the world, in organizations, uh, leadership in the world, but it's also used in the churches. Uh, A lot of people have taken what he said. Um, And so he deals in this book with the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. You might be thinking right now whether, you know, which type you are. Um, If your thinking is from a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. And so uh, I want to explain those. Someone who believes in a scarcity mindset believes that there's simply not enough to go around. Now, the people that were most affected by this way of thinking were people who lived through the Great Depression uh, because there were times that food was really scarce, um, jobs were scarce, and thus money was scarce. And so uh, people really had to scrape uh, to get by. 
So there's always a lack, and, and you've got to get what you can because there's not enough. Now, someone with an abundance mindset believes there's always more. So if we take it from a faith perspective, we serve an abundant God who is powerful, and our God can always provide. Okay, if I had an apple pie, and I gave any one of you a quarter of it, if I had a scarcity mindset, I, I would be alarmed because a major portion uh, of my pie is, is, is gone. Um, and so I'm thinking there's not enough for me. An abundant mindset says you can have half and uh, we'll make another. Uh, there's always enough to go around. With the scarcity mindset, people grow up afraid and even terrified to give. A lot of people are not generous. In fact, a lot of people only give through re-gifting. You know what I mean when I say re-gifting? That's where you pass along a gift that somebody else has given to you. That doesn't cost you anything, really. Um, so a lot of people do this, and the perfect gift to re-gift is a gift card. A gift card, okay? Real, real easy to turn that, over to, to turn that over to somebody else. Well, Craig Rochelle said that he used to do that until the time that he got busted. A guy who was not a Christian was painting one of his bathrooms. And Craig wanted to bless him and encourage him. So because he'd done such a good job, on top of paying the bill, Craig wanted to give him a $25 gift card that somebody had given him to Chili's. So he passed it on to the guy. Well, the man was genuinely touched and even became emotional. No one's ever done this for me. Well, evidently, the guy went to Chili's that night, and uh, he called Craig on the phone, and Craig said he could hear all this noise in the background, but this guy was cussing him out. So the painter went from blessed to not happy with Craig. He said, here I am with my buddy, drinking some beer, and we ordered a lot. When I gave the waiter the gift card, there was only $2.43 left on it. The painter was not happy with Craig. Okay, first of all, generosity should be the mark of every Christian. Now, the Apostle Paul asked the Corinthians to give to the Jerusalem church uh, because of a famine that was taking place in Judea. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 through 5. You'll notice I've underscored some parts of the passage uh, for you to particularly notice. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. First of all, let me clear up saints. Uh, saints uh, are not what you hear from certain religious groups today. Uh, people that do more 
then God requires or expects. There's no such thing. Um, he expects us to do our best. So your best is going to be different from my best, but we're to do our best. Uh, so it's not an elite group of Christian people, uh, but the Bible uses this as a, a name that's equivalent to the name Christian. So you're Christian, uh, but you're also a saint at the same time. You're part uh, of, of the body of Christ. Okay, let's move on. Verse 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, the background, the Macedonians were living in poverty, in deep poverty. Yet they gave a massive gift to the Jerusalem church, the Christians there. And I have to wonder, how often do we see this today? Uh, the Macedonians greatly exceeded the Apostle Paul's expectations. When was the last time you gave as much as you were able and maybe even pushed it a little bit more? In ministries, in churches, in nonprofits and charities today, they seem to have to use gimmicks to get their people to give. Now, you'll notice this. They sell products. Um, they conduct bake sales and rummage sales to raise money to support the church, to support their ministry. Um, if you sign the card, uh, your three-year pledge to give money, uh, for a $100 gift, we'll send you your own prayer shawl. Okay, so you get something for your, for your giving. Um, we'll send you water bottled from the Dead Sea. Now, you don't want to drink it. That'd be a mistake. I, I understand there's only one thing that lives in the Dead Sea, and that's a very unique little plant. Um, eh, I'm not sure they can live there. You've been to the Dead Sea? Okay, great. All right. Um, but they can come out, out of the water, onto the ground. Okay. Um, they'll give you water from the Dead Sea, or they'll give you anointing oil from Israel. And that sort of concept is way, way different uh, from our text. Giving financial resources should be preceded by giving ourselves to Jesus first. So we give ourselves first, and then it becomes easy to give of our resources. Now, this is a bona fide Jesus and me verse. All of us need that personal relationship with him to be number one. Uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8 says, But just as you excel in everything, I mean, these guys were really sharp. In faith, they excelled. In speech, they excelled. In knowledge, they excelled. In complete earnestness, they excelled. And in your love for us, they excelled. Now he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So clearly, God expects us to be great givers. Um, when we are generous in our giving, we are more like God because God is a giver. Now, I want you to rate, rate yourself when it comes to generosity. Now, we did this the first week. I don't know if Craig did this last week or not, but um, I want us to, to rate ourselves 
on where you would put yourself on this generosity scale. And there's a scale on your outline there. And, you know, nobody else needs to see it. It's just between you and God. Um, but I'm going to give you some, some ideas to think about here. Now, don't put 10 unless you are sinless and gave your life for the sins of the world. Okay? In other words, you'd be Jesus. Um, don't put one because, you know, that's, kinda, that's where the devil is. One. He, he gives, but his gifts aren't always so good. Um, because I have to believe that you've given something which qualifies you to be at least at a two. You may be stingy, but you should qualify as a two, uh, even at that. Um, put yourself on the scale, giving it serious thought. Now, you can have a lot of money and give what most people would consider a lot, but for you, it may not really be a lot because you have so much. Uh, for you, it would not be generous. On the other hand, you might be like the widow who gave the two mites, who gave everything that she had, or you could have almost nothing, and you give what most people would consider not much, but for you, it is a sacrifice, and that makes you more generous than the person who actually gives more. Perhaps you're a tither, maybe you go beyond that, give an offering. Um, additionally, you may give a lot of your time it serving in the church, like many of you did yesterday uh, with the youth event, and a lot of other ways that you could do that. Um, and so you, you give finances, and you give your time, you give of yourself. And so that may qualify you to be a seven, eight or even nine. So you, you judge, you determine. Uh, but understand this, time and money do equal the same thing in God's eyes. Time and money. Both of these are his gifts to us. He gives us time, he gives us money. So he expects us to give back both to him. Okay, so circle the number that represents where you are when it comes to generosity. Now, generous people plan to do what is generous. Uh, look at Isaiah 32, verse 8. But generous people plan to do what's generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Now, stingy or miserly people uh, plan how they can get more. Uh, you can be that way in your personal finances, and that's okay. I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't think God has a problem with that in your personal finances. But whatever you do, don't withhold from God. He gave you his best. He gave you his son. While all of culture says consume, 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 a generous person stands firm. No, we give, give, give. Because giving is not just what we do, but generous is who we are. All right, next. As a follower of Jesus, you have to consider tithing. Now, tithing is giving 10% of your income 
back to God through the local church. Now, the word tithe literally means tenth. Now, some people today like to say, well, tithing is obsolete um, because it was taught in the law of Moses. Well, in fact, it was practiced before the law of Moses. And people say, well, okay, now we're living under the law of Christ, uh, which replaces the old covenant. But listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. This is the religious elite of his day. You hypocrites, you you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Now, these were very, very tiny plants that they raised in their gardens. And they were real meticulous to count those and, you know, give one uh, to God uh, one out of every ten. But Jesus says, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen to his summary. He says, you should have practiced the latter, that's justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. So you see, he blesses tithing. Uh, He encourages tithing. Withholding what we should rightfully give God is like stealing from him. Now, if you ask anybody directly, oh, no, I wouldn't want to steal from God. I wouldn't take anything from God. Well, Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? God says in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's spiritual as well as physical. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. A couple things from this passage. Um, God says to test him. It's the only place in the Bible where God allows his people to put him to the test. But he commands people to do that, test him. He said, see if I won't bless you more than you can give me. And on top of it, it's not just giving you material things. He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Uh, When I was a kid, we raised a garden and, you know, a beetle got on the potato vines and uh, they'd eat the potato vines. Um, And we we also had uh, some some form of beetle uh, that would get on the green bean vines and eat the vines. God says, I'll prevent that from happening. Um, and the other day I was riding by an orchard and I noticed that they were in a process of harvesting the apple crop. And so there were rows that were picked clean, but there were rows that they had not started picking yet. And I noticed that on the ground under the, under the trees looked like as many apples as were on the tree. And so, you know, those those orchardists can't sell those. That's not a number one uh, type of fruit uh, in a public market. 
you have to have good fruit, perfect fruit. That that falls on the ground gets bruised. It can be used for other things, but it's not worth what fruit is on a tree. God says that's not going to happen with you if you're faithful to me. I've seen multiple stories in the news over the last several years where treasures, church treasures, have embezzled money from their church. Now, every time I hear one of those stories or read one of those stories, it kind of gives me chills. I can't imagine anybody doing that because not only are they robbing their church, uh, they robbed God, if you think about it. Now, God's provision really kicks in when he sees our commitment to be generous in return. Now, you shouldn't tithe because I tell you to, uh, or to manipulate God. I told you a story several years ago of a guy in the church where I was preaching who said, uh, I, I give $100. This is when $1,000 a week income was a lot of money, and it's still a lot of money, I'm sure, to some of you, especially those that are on Social Security. Um, so he said, I give $100 a week so that I can force God to see that I get paid $1,000 a week salary. And so that's making God a genie in the bottle. So, you know, you rub the bottle and the genie comes out, God, and uh, you're, you're manipulating him. You shouldn't give out of guilt feelings, but you should get, give out of a heart with love and appreciation for all that God has done for you. Now, here's what will happen. You'll discover that for yourself that 90% of your income with God's blessing goes further than 100% without his blessing. <clears throat> Most people operate from a scarcity mindset. Because they grew up poor, or currently they would be classified as poor, Maybe they experienced some kind of devastation uh, in life where they lost all their financial assets, um, and so they are afraid, and so consequently they tend to hoard material things, fearing uh, the repetition of a similar event in the future. Well, tithing builds your faith and strengthens your trust in an abundant God. A pastor pulled into a drive-in. He gave his order for cherry limeade. The charge was a dollar and a half, but all he had was a $5 bill. Normally, he said he would get the change and would give uh, the car hop the quarters. But on this occasion, he was really feeling generous, and so uh, he told her to keep the change. And she said, are you sure? Yes, the rest is for you. Long story short, the car hop knew who he was. He was well known around town. She didn't like him. She didn't like his church either. Uh, but she was impressed by his generous tip. She actually said, maybe I misread the whole thing and I'll give it a shot. Well, she ended up going to church the next Sunday and within uh, several weeks... Uh, she had decided to commit her life to Jesus Christ. Generous tipping 
is one way for us to communicate to people the generosity of God. So if they see us, God's children, as being generous, then we're teaching them, we're showing them by example uh, that God is generous. So you, you become God's living example of his generosity. Um, and people will pick up on it. Uh, you'll make an impact. Now, not everybody's going to respond as you would like, and certainly not right away, but you are planting seed every time you leave someone a generous tip. So because God is generous, we should be generous. In that way, we are like God. We become like God. One guy decided to, uh, to give his car away to a needy family. And so he didn't just give the car away, he had it detailed and even filled it up with gas before he gave it. Now, if you're going to give your cat away, give the dish, the food, and all the cat's toys. Why? Because it's way more blessed to give your cat away than it is to ever receive a cat in any form Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> okay, you know that didn't come from the Bible. I'm just pulling your legs, you know, on that. Actually, I love cats. You can ask Becky. She'll confirm that I love cats. Craig Groeschel of LifeChurch.tv created the U version uh, of the Bible. And a lot of you may have uh, the app on your phone. Uh, it's perfectly free. I've seen guys come up and give communion devotion from their phone uh, using this free Bible app. Um, you know, he was encouraged to sell it, sell it cheaply, but he decided, no, we, God has blessed us so much, we need to give it away. And so he makes it available for free to anyone to download. Now, I'm going to guess that there are a number of people here that already have that. If you don't... Um, then that's a good way to always have the Bible with you wherever you go, because my guess is you don't go anywhere without your cell phone, especially if you're the younger generation. So you need to take advantage of that. As, as of today, 166 million people have taken advantage, have received the free download. And on top of that, his church makes all kinds of resources available at absolutely no charge and that is generosity. They develop it, but then they give it away. Now, personally, I love to help with microfinancing in developing countries where loans are given to entrepreneurs, uh, allowing, giving them the ability to start a business. They dream a dream. They figure out what they'd like to do and uh, to make an income to, to better themselves and to be able to take care of their families. And so Christian Missionary Fellowship, CMF, I get on there all the time. And um, uh, not only do I check up on Ken and what's going on in Africa, uh, but I'll go to uh, the microfinance section and check out, you know, who's trying to raise money to do a loan. I got on there one day, and uh, there was a guy who, was, who needed $100 to get barbering equipment so that he could cut hair. This was the business he was going to do. But he didn't just want to be a barber. Uh, he was being trained uh, to be a pastor. And so he was going to support himself 
by cutting hair uh, so that he could preach the word. And I'm like, $100? I can give him $100. So I gave him $100, fully funded him. And, and you can give a part of what they're trying to raise. Sometimes it's hundreds of dollars. Uh, or you can give it all. But I, I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, and I think that's one way that you can be generous. Now, let me, let me be upfront with you. If you don't like me, or you don't trust me, or you don't like new life, then don't give a dime here. I know that sounds strange coming from a preacher. Find a local church you can believe in and give there first. Return your 10% there first. Why? Because the local church is the storehouse that Malachi is mentioned in Malachi chapter 3 that makes the deepest spiritual impact on the lives of people. When people are transformed, communities are transformed, and then the world is changed and becomes a better place. Be it at New Life or elsewhere, plug in. Use your gifts there. And then give beyond that. Look for people who have needs. Then jump in and help them. Look for some ministry that you like and are interested in and give your time there as well as your money because as followers of Jesus, we could be like the book of Acts where it says twice, if there was someone in need, that Christians would take what they had, sell it, and give the proceeds to the needs of the people so that the needs of the people could be met. Let me give you an example. Acts 4, it's in, on your outline, verses 33 through 35. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. The grace of Jesus was at work in them, all of them, not just some, but the whole church. Is that possible today? Why not? Generosity is the key. Now, if the churches of Winchester... That's a big if. If the churches of Winchester would get on fire and realize that we lead the way, we the churches lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it is more blessed to give than receive, then the needs of people in our community would be met. What a load off the shoulders of social services. They could divert a major portion of their funding to other areas. Most of the Winchester area churches are not on this page that I'm talking about. Um, and I really don't want to throw stones. I'm not calling anybody out. But I want to set the example here at New Life of a church of irrationally generous people who start with a tithe as a beginning point and give offerings well beyond that. 
Now, I can visualize a group of people who are not entitled. They don't have the entitlement mindset, but see themselves as entrusted. Not entitled, but entrusted with God's blessing and God's resources to do more. Jesus said on one occasion, to whom much has been given, much is required. So the more God gives us, the more he expects us to give in return. We have been given much, therefore God expects much. I see a group of people who believe deep within their heart that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, let's be irrationally generous. When people notice, they will ask, why are you being so generous? That point gives us the opportunity to share the love and concern of God for them. At that point, we can tell them about our generous God who gave more than we could ever imagine when he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should be irrationally generous because you serve the most generous God who gave it all. Therefore, we will lead the way with irrational generosity because as followers of Jesus, we truly believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're going to sing our song of decision, our closing song. If you have a decision to make, I would encourage you to step out and come forward as we sing.